Section five of Ruth of Boston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ruth of Boston, a story of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, by James Otis. Section five. The Great Sickness. It seemed much as if Susan was in the right, when she said that the deaths of Lady Arabella and Henry Winthrop were ill omens, because no sooner had all our people landed from the ships, or come up through the forest from Salem, than a great sickness raged among us. Many had been ill during the voyage, with what Master Higginson called scurvy, which is a disease that attacks people who have lived long on salted food and again many others took to their beds with a sickness caused by the lack of pure, fresh water. Our fathers had but just begun to build up this new town, when it was as if the hand of God had been laid heavenly upon us. For so, it was said, not more than one out of every five of our people was able to perform any work whatsoever. Those were long, dismal, dreadful days— when at each time of rising in the morning we learned that this friend or that neighbor had gone out from among us, and it seemed to Susan and me as if there were a constant succession of funerals, with not even the tolling of bells to mark the passage of a body from its poor home to its last resting-place on earth, for by this time the ships had gone out of the harbor. The graves on the side of the hill increased tenfold faster than did the dwellings, and all of us, even the children, felt that our only recourse now was to pray God that he would remove the curse, for of a verity did it seem as if one had been placed upon us. Again and again did I hear men and women, who had ever been devout and regular in their attendance upon the preaching, ask if we had not offended the Lord by breaking off from the English church, or if we might not have committed some sin in thus abandoning the land of our birth thinking to ourselves that we would build up a new nation in the world. Therefore it was that even Susan and I felt a certain relief of mind, when Governor Winthrop set the thirtieth day of July as a day of fasting and of prayer, and in order that all the English people who had come into this portion of the new world might unite with us in begging God to remove the calamity from our midst. Word was sent even as far as Plymouth, asking that every one meet on that day with words of devout petition. Moving the Town I have no doubt, because of mothers having said so again and again, that the good Lord heard our fervent entreaties, although the sickness was not removed from among us for near to six weeks. Then it was that Master William Blackstone came across the Tri-Mountain, and told Governor Winthrop it was his belief we should do more toward aiding ourselves than simply praying. He advised, because of there being plenty of good water in Tri-Mountain, that we forsake this village of Charlestown and go across to the opposite shore. I might set down many words, repeating what I heard our father say concerning the wisdom of such a move, and yet this story which I am telling would not be improved thereby. For the day finally came when it was decided that, even at the cost of building new dwellings, we should take all our belongings across the water to the cove, back of which was a small hill, and yet further behind a circle of mountains. The cove would make an agreeable harbor for our boats, 
The hill straight behind it would serve as a location for a fort, while here and there were pleasant streams or gushing springs, whereas Charlestown we had only the water of the river or from the marsh. That I may not weary you by much explaining, it is best I say that on the 17th of September, when the sun had risen, we gathered at the great house to pray that God would bless us in this which was much the same as our second undertaking, for without delay, and before night had come, we were to go across the bay and make for ourselves other homes. And now, lest it seem as if I were telling the same story twice, I will not set down anything concerning the building of this second village, because of that which we did in Tri-Mountain being the same as had been done in Charlestown. The great house was taken apart and carried across the water, as were also the dwellings of logs. And while this was being done, the women and children stayed in Charlestown, where Master Thomas Graves had made, what seemed to Susan and me, odd rules and regulations. Master Graves Prohibits Swimming He had been placed in command of the settlement by Master Endicott, and among his first acts was the appointment of tithing men one of whose duties it was to prevent the boys from swimming in the water, as some lads of our company speedily learned when they would have enjoyed such sport. They were arrested straightway, and but for the fact of being strangers, who were not acquainted with the rules of the settlement, would have been fined three shillings each. Susan and I had no desire to spend our time swimming, even had it been seemly for girls to do so but during very warm days it would have pleased us much to go down into the water, properly clad, in order to take a bath. Therefore did we believe Master Graves had done that which was almost cruel, and it surprised us no little, when later our own fathers passed the same law. Anna Foster's Party There were good friends of ours in England, who believed that we had come into a wilderness, where was to be found naught save savages and furious beasts. And it would have surprised them greatly, I believe, if they could have known how much of entertainment could already be found. It was while we were waiting in Charlestown for the homes in Tri-Mountain to be built, that Anna Foster, whose father is one of the tithing men, invited all of us young girls who had come under Governor Winthrop's charge to spend an evening with her, and we had much pleasure in playing hunt the whistle and thread the needle. Anna was dressed in a yellow coat with black bib and apron, and she had black feathers on her head. She wore both garnet and jet beads, with a locket, and no less than four rings. There was a black collar around her neck, black mitts on her hands, and a striped tucker and ruffles. Her shoes were of silk and one would have said that she was dressed for some evening entertainment in London. Neither Susan nor I wore our best, because of the candles here being made from a kind of tallow stewed out of bayberry plums, which give forth much smoke, and Mother was afraid this would soil our clothing. We were also told that because of there not being candles enough, some parts of the house would be lighted with candlewood, which last is taken from the pitch-pine tree, and fastened to the walls with nails. This wood gives forth a fairly good light, but there drops from it so much of a black, greasy substance, that whosoever by accident should stand beneath these flames, would be in danger of receiving a most disagreeable shower. 
This entertainment was not the only one which was made for our pleasure, while we remained in Charlestown. But because of the sickness everywhere around, very little in the way of merry-making was indulged in, and it seemed almost a sin for us to be thus light-hearted, while so many were in sore distress. End of section 5